Welcome to the Maple Syrup Show, Designers Discussing Design. We're on episode 66, theme first. That's right, uh, Sen and I are here, and we are going to be chatting about board game design. We're glad that you're here, and uh, we have two great guests with us, but before we get there, we like to chat a little bit about our week, see what we've been doing, uh, what games we've been playing, what prototypes we've been working on. And I'm going to pass this to my partner in crime, Sen Fong Lim. What have you been up to? Hello. We've been playing a lot of Clask. It's, I think it's going to be our new Christmas uh, event, is we're going to have Clask tables lined up on um, all around the room. Usually there's about 15 people that come over for Christmas brunch, and we're just going to play Clask until the food is ready. If you haven't played Clask yet, it is a uh, Danish game. I think it's from Denmark. Um, that has magnets under the table. And oh, yes, yes, yes. It's kind of like... like foosball-ish uh, type game where you're just... Yeah, it looks cool. But it's very, very cool, and there's some really neat little nuances where you lose if you get too many magnets stuck on you, and that's yeah. kind of fun, because you can actually knock them onto people. Uh, other than that, um, got some Kickstarter stuff coming in, so Best Tree House Ever finally came in, which is great. Uh, Phil DeBarty's game, uh, Skyway oh, Robbers Skyway came in. Robbers, yeah. And it looks awesome. I just haven't cracked Art it yet. Fantastic. I'm going to bring it to um, our little event. I'm going to bring it to Daryl's Meeple Syrup Winter Camp event, and we can definitely play it there. Other than that, Jesse and I have been working pretty hard. Well, hard is debatable because Jesse just got back from Britain from his uh, uh, study term there, and I've just finished exams here, marking, and just got the grades in yesterday. So that's all done, but we've been putting some hours into our uh, IP-related game, which we can talk about kind of in a way, yeah. uh, which is good for today because we're talking about theme first. So that's really where my design stuff is right now. My design head is in there. And Jay and I have been working on some stuff for Nate, uh, who is on the show today, so we'll talk about that as well. What about you, Daryl? What have you been up to? Well, um, as you know, I've been uh, really keeping an eye on my first ever game that was on Kickstarter, yeah. Fantasy, Fantasy Baseball, which is coming to a close in 53 minutes, and uh, very thankful, lots of great support. We just uh, just passed the 20,000 threshold, which... Hey, you, guys, you guys bashed through the uh, stretch goals pretty quickly. That was great. Yeah, we did We did great. We, we definitely uh, hit our stretch goals, which we were hoping for. Um, this recent one, we just passed literally an hour ago. Uh, got us minis from uh, that are going to be designed by Chad Hoverter. Uh, I'm sorry, I said that wrong. Uh, but he's the he's the dude that did uh, Mice and Mystics Spectre minis, Ops. and he did the Spectre Ops. And, did he do uh, uh, um, Tail Feathers? I don't know. That's I'm, I'm sure he probably did. Probably. He's uh, part of the Plaid Hat crew and friend with JR. And actually, when we were down at the Plaid Hat party for BGGCon, uh, he played the game like the game, and said to JR, if you get up to that stretch goal of minis, I'll design them for you. So cool. uh, very excited about having such a talented, another talented person associated with the project, uh, the art being by Rob Lundy, who's incredible. I just even watched him today doing live on Twitch, which uh, he was creating a few more character cards for the game. It's really fun to watch him. Yeah, it's do pretty his amazing. Live. His Twitch feed's fun. If you guys are artists out there and yes. you want to see how Rob does his digital work, just yeah. uh, Twitch, find his Twitch feed. Twitch.tv slash Molten Inc. Oh, that's right, Molten Inc. And yeah, it so is pretty fun to watch. For the people who don't know anything like me about digital art, I still think it's fun. Yeah, really and he neat. teaches. He teaches along the way. He not yeah. only uh, teaches while he's doing his regular work, but he'll also he's now been recruited multiple occasions by Adobe, and uh, is actually flying down to CSE um, to even help them at the show. Uh, but he's one of their go-to now instructors for creative art and uh, some live um, live art. So uh, really quite proud to be connected with him and. Uh, Sen has already uh, had work with Rob as well, so it's, it's pretty cool to be connected with uh, such a phenomenal artist who is the king. Uh, Sir Bob's saying in the chat, he is a great multitasker. I have never seen someone multitask so great. Uh, today he had a phenomenal, if you want to look up a funny moment, he had a troll come in and totally like, tried to like take him to task, and he just gave the troll a new one while still 
still drawing. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so that's consumed most of my time. And as I already mentioned, the Meeple Syrup Winter Camp, getting ready for that has been very exciting. Uh, some incredible sponsors. Yeah, you want to give some show notes to the sponsors? Because oh, they're you know, awesome. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wait till after because there's just so many of them. I, I feel like I'm going to have to designate a whole show to... Uh, thanking everyone, but we do have we can one. We definitely run some live feeds. Yeah, well, show, we'll definitely right? do from some the... live feeds there. Uh, we do have uh, one of the publishers. We have a, a person uh, connected with them, Nate Murray with IDW. They they've been very generous and supportive of of uh, the 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 winter camp, and so uh, we're thankful for them and many others that are uh, connected to it. And we'll like like Sen said, we'll do a bunch of uh, um, live video stuff, uh, Periscope and. We'll probably even load up some video. The beauty is it's close to my house, so I can I can even run home, leave things to video-wise load, and, and come back quite quickly. So. Cool. And are you designing anything new? Or is it I just am. Yeah, fantasy, actually, good fantasy, question. Fantasy. I, just, uh, I just finally started designing something with Jonathan Gilmore. Uh, oh, to replace the, the to replace that failed? Our, yeah, we had, we had done a Jailbreaker-themed game, and since then two have come out on Kickstarter, but we have a really fun theme that we're really excited about that we'll have at the Meeple Syrup Winter Camp, um, playtesting that. And I also am working with a game uh, with Brian Lewis, uh, an airport-themed game. Oh, right, uh, yeah. We, that's we tested it at Grand Con and got some great feedback, and we've adjusted it, and we feel even better about it. So Excellent. Those are a couple of the biggies that I'm, I'm mostly working on right now. All right, well, why don't we bring uh, our audience uh, up to speed and tell them who's on the show. So, Daryl, why don't you do the intros, and I'll, I'll do the tech stuff. Ready to go. Well, as I already mentioned, we have Nate from IDW, and then we also have Boyan from Gamesmith, uh, who also uh, designs for a variety of other publishers, including uh, this Christmas season, you would be probably familiar with his game, 12 Days, uh, a Christmas-themed card game. Welcome, guys. Hey, hello. Nate, you got to turn on your microphone, bud. I think I, uh, am I back on? Yeah, yeah you're back you're on. Back. Right. How are you, sir? Hey, thanks for having me. No, no problem. So, yes, we're really excited to have both of them here. They have a variety of experience, anything from design to really every step along the way uh, of mm-hmm. the production and uh, distribution logistics, you name it. So uh, we have a couple guests here that, really are jack-of-all-trades and know a variety of issues. And so we really want to encourage our viewers, if you have questions, please don't be shy on YouTube or on Twitter. Uh, send us your questions, and we'll try to incorporate some, and we won't be able to ha- handle them all, but uh, get those questions that you have for, for our guests out there, and we'll try to include some of those now, some maybe in the after show or throughout the week we can pass on questions and maybe they can tweet or, or, or uh, pass on some, some words of wisdom down the show. But we're going to start the show focused on theme first. And so uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to Boyan first and uh, say, Bo, what, what uh, maybe it didn't happen first, but 12 days, what was the, the initial design process for you? What, did you have the theme first when you, when you designed that game? Uh, so for 12 days, the original design was actually with Mike Selinger and James Ernest. So I was the creative director and the producer on the project. But it was always um, a Christmas-themed game. It was intended to be seasonal. It was supposed to follow the song 12 Days of Christmas and so on. And so the theme basically was the start of the project, and then it it lended all its mechanics. So in the 12 days of Christmas, there are 12 12s, 11 11s, and so on, which creates the pyramidal deck that you see um, in the game, or like in Great Dalmudi or Owl Pairs and that sort of thing. Um, so, yeah, so that one, that was easy. That started from theme, and the mechanics basically came from it. Um, it's gift-giving because it's the holidays, and so you're passing cards, which represent the gifts, um, and you're opening presents on each day. Um, And since there are 12 days of Christmas, there are 12 rounds in the game. And so the theme is very heavy in the game. It's not overwhelming in terms of, like, flavor text and that sort of thing. It's still an abstract trick-taking game. Mm -hmm. But the cards are beautifully illustrated, and the mechanics are tied into the theme. In fact, I would say... If the mechanics don't replicate or don't enhance the theme, it they don't belong there. 
right? It's not adding to the theme itself. So in, in that particular so yeah. case, Poyan, or in all games? All all games. Like if your mechanic does not does not feed into the theme, it should not be there. Right. And that was Echo that did the art, correct? Echo Chernik? Yeah, Echo Chernik. Okay. She's an amazing illustrator. She's ridiculous. She does this. Awesome. Yeah, she, so for 12 days, I wanted a timeless Art Nouveau style, um, and she killed it. It's like stained glass and beautiful. Oh, it's, yeah, it's lovely Yeah, stuff. and it's with Calliope Games right now, um, and they have a coloring book, which is <laughs> really nice. So. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Like, yeah, an adult. like an adult coloring book? That's awesome. Well, I mean, it's made for kids, but adults, I think, should really get into it because it's a really nice meditative process. And, mm -hmm. you know, the arts, like, just the composition and the design is beautiful on its own. So you can try to, you know, put your color in and you yeah. know, have fun with it. No, I like that. Uh, my wife is a therapist, and so am I. So we use uh, coloring books a lot, and uh, we've been using the apps with a lot of the people we work with. So yeah. it's pretty cool. Yeah, and yeah. I thought that'd be a cool one. Um, Nate, let's move on to you. Nate, I've worked with you for like a year now. I don't even really know what you do because you do everything. <laughs> so tell us what your job at IDW is and then also if you can elaborate on the relationship that you have with Pandasaurus. That would be awesome. Okay. Um, yeah, that's a fair assessment in that uh, I do a lot. I wear a lot of hats at IDW Games. Um, we don't have... A lot of employees we have. Uh, it was started by our uh, VP, now now pr newly promoted VP of uh, new business, Jerry Bennington. And I work directly under him uh, in a multitude of divisions, actually. One of them being adult coloring books, one being limited edition products, one being uh, impulse buy products, and this fourth one is games. Um, so the games division started actually to get to the other half of this question because Nathan McNair from Panasaurus connected with Jerry and uh, and was very interested in certain IPs that uh, IDW had, asked if we wanted to do board games, and at the time, um, luckily, I'm actually a bigger board game nerd than I am comic nerd. I'm heavy on both, but board games is more my side of things, and so when Jerry came into the office and I said this opportunity was there, I said, let's go. And so from, from that day, I've been working more of my hours now are on the, uh, the board game side. And so I do um, product management, marketing management, brand management, uh, game development, and uh, uh, game design as well on a couple of projects. So um, pretty much, yeah, yeah. A, lot, a lot of hats, yeah. And, and so that people understand where IDW comes into the game thing, uh, what are the actual roots of IDW? I mean, I know where they are, but if you can tell the crowd, the, the gaming roots. Okay, well, all right. So, I mean, IDW Publishing was started 15 years ago by Ted Adams and Robbie Robbins um, in the comic side, and we're the, currently the fourth, some months the third, I think, biggest uh, comic publisher in the, in the world um, with hits like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Lock and Key, Transformers, and all that. When the game side started, uh, we launched with uh, Nathan McNair to take advantage of our IP portfolio, and the first game we did was Kill Shakespeare, a semi-cooperative with um, the same designers from Yato, one of my favorite games. You should pick up Yato. It's uh, Lords of Waterdeep, but just better on all aspects. Mm -hmm. Not No offense to that game. It's a, it's a great gateway game, but then once you're there, buy Yato. Um, and then now we've kind of expanded, and we're running along our... Um, comic lines as well as original IP and then the one big thing that I'm avoiding obviously is uh, we have a huge breakout hit in Machi Koro and that's uh, that's one probably people know us for it's about 150,000 units moved at this point wow. um, it, I just went up to LA to uh, accept the Geeky Award on behalf of the team um, last yeah, month the, yeah. the history of the Geeky Awards is right here <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. From yeah, the board right. game category, I think it's a, a clean sweep on this episode. Yeah. So yeah, there you go. Owen, Owen and me are due. Yeah, you guys are due. Um, I'm, I'm well, actually, I was, a, I was a judge for the categories, so I don't oh, know. Oh, that's right. Oh. I forgot about oh. that. Okay. Oh, well. and, and, <laughs> okay, very good. Very good. <laughs> I was definitely nervous going up because uh, I thought there was uh, strong competition. I know Jay, uh, was, whose design was sent a lot, was was there, I tried to find him and, and wish him luck. Um, and then obviously a, a big uh, thing in the room with support from Vassal was uh, Sheriff and Nottingham. Yeah. So beating, beating yeah. that felt good. 
Um, that's a great game. I play a lot, so it, it felt staying on the stage was uh, was a fun experience for for the team, you know. Good. Yeah. Okay, so now that we've got everybody's kind of roles and responsibilities out of the way, let's talk design. Let's get into that theme first design question that we started with Bo originally. Uh, Bo, when you did Pirate Den, which is yeah. delivering now, which is awesome, by the way. Uh, so happy that this thing is coming out, and Bo will say nobody's happier than him. I've seen it typed like 17 billion times in the last week. Uh, I think people are just super stoked about it and for you, which is great. Did that start theme first? Uh, no. And so, so Pirate Den actually started as a simple, simple, I guess, prisoner's dilemma mechanic, and it was used with just gems uh, in hand, and it was not that great, to be honest. Um, early on, and it was very confusing, and it was hard to track information, and it just didn't, it wasn't engaging, and that was because it was purely mechanical, um, and so what I did is I changed the theme, and I made it much more about stealing and attacking and that sort of thing, and so I wanted a rogue theme to go along with the game and made it about pirates, and now when it was pirates, it, much more of the mechanics could basically come out of it, right? So, like, burying treasure made a lot of sense. Um, attacking ships, uh, betraying your friends, and that sort of thing all started to click together, and it became a much better game. And so, in that case, the theme really helped it out. Um, and then once I had the theme, then I really wanted to get the art to fit that style. And so, because I also did the art direction for the game, I was looking for sort of a mass market appeal Pirates, so not actual pirates, like because they were terrible human beings, but um, <laughs> the sort of Disneyfied pirates, right? Um, and that's very important. Theme is very important for marketability and sales for the publisher, and it also has to indicate the level of play. So if I have a game that's like really, like super detailed, gritty, like oh, like X Men or something like that, you know, um, then it suggests something about about that gameplay. If it's like a lighter game, then like Machikoro is a good example. If Machikoro came out with like Lords of Waterdeep style cover, I think people would not understand it. Right? It's right. it's a lighter That's game. A really good point. It's yeah. fun, and yeah. it should it should basically enable that. So like with Pirate Den. The cover is very piratey, but it's very simple as well. And same with the art and the cards. Um, and so art and theme and mechanics all go together in that case. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Great, great stuff. I, I'm going to bounce back to Nate. Uh, one thing that many people might know of IDW is the great licenses that uh, you you get to work with, uh, with uh, having quite a, a long list of uh, licenses in the publishing side. And then now we're starting to get to see some game versions uh, with those same licenses. I'm curious if you could kind of share... Uh, with our audience who don't know which licenses so far uh, you, you guys have broken into, and maybe give just a quick idea of how how does that start? How does you know that process of bridge going from having the rights to just the the publishing rights to it to how do you pitch a game and get them okay with making a game version? Um, a fairly complicated, difficult process when dealing with the the major licenses that we deal with. Um, and and for example, I mean, we our first licensed product was X Files. Uh, uh, the next major license we'll have is um, Back to the Future. Um, we've got Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, uh, Godfather, licenses that are not to be taken lightly. Um, so what's the start of that is that we sit and brainstorm what the game might look like, and we brainstorm several, uh, actually, and we present to the licensor, and we say, okay, uh, Orphan Black was another one where we wrote out, I have several pitches out to them, and I said, okay, here's your card, here's your board, here's your dice, because when we go for a license, we don't want to just make one game. Um, you want to you want to do a, a series maybe of different styles for different fan levels, and so I write all these pitches, give them approximate player counts, approximate price, all this, and then present it to the licensor. And then of course there's the the money side of things. Um, 
And once that's agreed upon, you know, you work with the designer to follow up on your the promise of the premise, essentially. So um, the first game we did was X-Files, like I said. That was great because we had a, a strong name to go to them which, which, with, which was Kevin Wilson. Um, we love we Kevin. Yeah. Love Kevin. I, I am in communication with him almost every day. I've given him a break the last two weeks because he's been busy, but uh, he knows I'll be bugging him next week really hard. <laughs> but uh, Kevin's a great guy. He's actually um, one of the people I'd say I, I have stolen a lot of information from in the business and who's always willing to, to teach and um, mm-hmm. go over things with. I mean, n- n- nobody better. So, um, you yep. know present company excluded but uh, so that was great for X-Files for um, and then for looking at other other properties it's a big balance of understanding the age of the fan base uh, the education of the fan base their connection to whether it be published material previous games or none of these things um, <laughs> do they just like to put on a vest and hold a hoverboard and take a Halloween picture Sure. Okay, right? So for Back to the Future, we have to be very careful in knowing that there might not be true gamers coming into this space. So um, I don't want to just make a a simple trivia game, but we do have to be careful to make something in the weight of the fan base. Uh, You can't give everyone... Every license doesn't want Battlestar Galactica. Right. um, It's not always appropriate. To, to do such a heavy in-depth game so that's, that's a, really a big consideration yeah. we're, we're working on these days yeah. absolutely absolutely uh, I actually I'm gonna in, uh, incorporate a question from the audience um, Perfect. We have, uh, this is I'm gonna send this to Bo um, yeah. but maybe Nate you could jump in on this as well probably after Bo uh, because I think you both could handle this in two different directions uh, this one's from odd hackwelder. Uh, he's asking, you know, often IPs have a following or even designers have a following, and wondering if uh, if you worry as a designer about the game, if it'll live up to the hype, uh, and and how do you manage that? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to Bo first on that one. Sure. And then, uh, um, if you want to add anything, feel free. Yeah, I'll add in on the back end of that. Yeah, I mean, that's actually, especially with licensed properties, that's a big thing. So, like, right now I have a game on Kickstarter called The Ninth World. It's set in the Numenera um, franchise created by Monty Cook Games. Yeah, Monty Cook's a uh, great guy. He comes down to Fan Expo all the time and yeah, no, encourages our awesome. designers over here. They're awesome, and the world's super engaging, and Paul Peterson and I designed the the core game for, for The Ninth World, and we basically had that same problem of the fans really know this world. Um, In Exile is doing a video game based on it. Um, lots of people have played it. There's a lot of fan love for it, especially gamers. And so I wanted to make sure that we treated it well and with, with a lot of respect. And also the thing I did not want to do was to have it be some like whatever Numenera slapped on top of it, right? That's just disrespectful. So what I wanted to do is come up with a unique mechanic that would basically fit into the world, um, and so that way it was, you know, paying respect to the fans. Now, because Numenera, they're already role-playing game players, they're already gamers, and so that means I can kind of take it a little bit higher in terms of, um, I kind of rate every game like E, everyone can play it, that's something like Machikoro, um, or Quirkle or whatever. F is sort of like you have to be familiar with games, but not really. So yeah. something like Sushi Go or Ticket to Ride or whatever. G is like gamer rated. Um, and so like for people who don't know, I produced a show Tabletop, and we only showed stuff uh, EFG. We right. never went higher than that. So G right. is stuff that is maybe 60 to 90 minutes. It has maybe five to eight decisions per turn, um, deeper theme, you know, like, Mice and Mystics is a very thematic game, although um, tech-wise, mechanics are fairly simple, versus something like Smash Up, which theme is is there, but it's not super engaging, but the mechanics are deeper, right? Yep. And then, like, Battlestar Galactica is, like, an H or an I, like, really high yeah, in terms of theme and engagement. Um, and so with Numenera, it's easy because I can basically start at... F or G or H, uh, and find the game that's the best for that demographic. Right. 
Nate, you had some stuff you wanted to add? You know, I think you covered it almost perfectly. So there's there's <laughs> there's there's not much in there. Well done, sir. But um, that's again why I'm I'm saying we're going to revisit certain licenses with multiple products because I see as games come in, and I can say so. We have Back to the Future coming out in March, and uh, the game's amazing. It does time travel probably better than I've ever seen done. And I said, wow, that's a really fun game. And I sat and I played over and over, and I loved it. And all of a sudden, I realized I'm a gamer. <laughs> and so peeling back, it was like, let me go find what's the average Back to the Future fan. It's a nostalgia fan. It's a low info fan. It's a they would buy Back to the Future, seen it, or Back to the Future, things like that. Monopoly. So are they a gamer? And in dealing with the licensors and having to educate them, I realized, oh, there's definitely never been this product. And that's the insight that I have is when I work with the team. Because I don't just get to do whatever I want, or IDW doesn't get to do whatever it wants with the game. It has to approve everything through the rights holder. And when your rights holder reads your rules and goes, well, I don't understand any of it, but I, it's English, <laughs> then you know no one's tried this with that fan base, which might be a higher risk, so you have to come back. So with Back to the Future, you might see a, a lower entry point game coming soon. Right. Um, with Godfather, uh, the first game we're putting out is out in January. It's a mafia-themed game because we felt like, of course, let's of give course. them that. So sure. that's that's myself and Nathan McNair. Um, mafia is a game I've played at a serious competitive level for 15 years. Um, it's like so. This is like my love letter to Mafia. We've added um, some spatial rules that have never been done. Um, in elimination, and then of course we had to add the offer you can't refuse role. So someone will wake up with a horse head in their bed. We've, and so that's so, what I look for in these in these licensed games. It's not is every single thing. Can every single part of the game feel like the game? No, uh, to yep. me it can't. But can I give you that one moment where mm -hmm. you got called a chicken and you punched Biff in the mouth? Can I give you that <laughs> one moment where you open in Godfather, we we're literally giving you the moment where you open your eyes because if you know the the mafia werewolf genre, that's what happens. You open your eyes, and there's a horse head in front of you. Doesn't matter what else I give you, as long as I paid off that moment to instill that exact scene. Right, right, right. I feel really good about that. But yeah. um, but again, Godfather was a license where we talked internally, and it was okay. Mafia is a great genre, and all that. It's a little saturated. Is there another way to feel like the dawn of a city? Is there another way to, to go to the mattresses, perhaps? And so I think you'll see something very good in that license soon. Um, so it, it's it's those moments and those feelings. I, I can't say you'll get every second of it thematic. Sometimes you're going to draft a card or burn a turn, but... But those walkaways, like I really felt empowered, like the dawn in that moment. I really felt scared with that horse head. It's these key, key moments. Giving fan service to that is is really important. Fan service. Yeah. That's a that's a great way of putting it. And Kevin told me once. I think it was actually on the show. He said, "Don't let the IP be a stop sign. Let it be a guidepost." Mm -hmm. um, because we had gotten caught up in like, oh, but we have to get everything in this <laughs> game that could possibly be in it. Um, and he said, "No, no, no! Don't, don't do that. You're gonna kill yourself." Um, yeah, I actually think that's worse. If you, if, my entire philosophy is to cut back, right? I, I feel like game design is sculpting. You're supposed to be cutting away and sure. editing. You should not be adding more. The problem with really big IPs is there's so much material. It's very easy to fall into this trap of adding exceptions. Like, yeah. oh, well, except for this time, because you know the property says so in canons. Like, you're going to basically make a gigantic game. It's going to be full of weird things. The Firefly game is a good example of this. I didn't work on that property. I know the IP. I actually, um, uh, well, I, I don't want to talk about the licensing part of it, but I do know some of the stuff on the back side of it. But the fans were, the Browncoats, who were fans of the show Firefly, really, really wanted a board game. And what mm -hmm. they got was a game that was, two to three hours long. Yeah. They bought it so that they can have it on their shelf and show that they're a true fan, yeah. but they didn't play the game because it's way beyond their level, and they were trying to add too much to it. And I feel like they could have done far better by just cutting back. You know, it's like, yes, mm -hmm. we could add all these things, but I just want to give you the feel of it, right? Like, let's just be in the right. world. That's, that's the, Gale, the Gale Force 9 one, right? 
Yeah. The bigger, more miniature type one, yeah. Right, but that's their strength, and that's mm-hmm. that's the thing. That's for them. They're they're G H I gamers, um, yep. and that's what when they play tested it. That's who they play tested it with, and they're like, yeah, this is great. And then in reality, their fans are E, mm-hmm. E F, you know, right. and that's it. And so I feel like that game did well because of the brand, but was not played. Yep. Interesting. Um, Nate, what about uh, tying tying games to IPs? What is the benefit <clears throat> for you guys? What's the risk? Um, yeah, it, it, it's fun. We do have these conversations now on making sure, because we've seen numbers come in, and we've seen whether or not it, it's right to get a license. And, you know, for those who don't know, you're paying a good amount of money to put Firefly on the front of your box the, instead of generic space adventure 24. So you want to make sure when you do that, uh, it's it's worthwhile. IDW is lucky because we have a publishing arm. So the thing that's in my head right now is uh, Turtles, and that's a scenario-driven campaign, big box adventure game. Oh, so Probably cool. the best I've seen. I mean, it's ridiculous. And the trick is, we have an ongoing monthly comic. Well, what's it take to do a new scenario in a Descent and an Imperial Assault? Does it take two pages? It does. So you can believe that you'll get that big box game, and six months later there might be an expansion. But we'll get you to that expansion with six free modules in a comic. So that's that's the kind of uh, really exciting thing to me when you grab a brand. Um, just doing something completely ahead of the competition. Um, and then the other side is just purely working on stuff we like. That's that's the only reason for some of these things we don't, you know, for Godfather it's because, oh my god, it's the Godfather, you know, so let's grab it. Um, X-Files, I think, you know, I think we, that was our first one, much like Gale Force, I think Firefly was their first big license title, and then they dialed back from from uh, the, the scale you're using of GNH down to EF with Spartacus, Homeland, everything else I've done that's been perfectly amazing and on point. They started big. X-Files, we started, we split the lane on that game so funnily. Um, we, we, it was like a 7-10 split and we picked up, we missed both pins. Uh, it's a very good game. Uh, it's very fun, but we had a lot of people expecting three hours of Arkham Horror and we had a lot of people expecting 20 minutes of trivia. That's funny, because that's how Kevin describes it too. Yeah, we, we threw it we threw it down the damn right. lane. So, yeah, so uh, that's funny. I've never had this conversation with him. Uh, I'm glad he he gets it too. And it is. I mean, I like the game. I, I teach it. I play it. I play it. Well, my mom is a great X Files fan, but yeah. but it it missed both those sides. And so now it taught me how to look at a license better and say, where are the fans? Are they E G F? You know, if we're talking on that. So, um, but yeah, I. IDW's strength is that we have these great relationships with licensors who we treated well um, for 15 years now. They trust us, so we can go get licenses. A lot of people can't, and we have a little bit of instilled trust, and then we have that ongoing comic and some of the stuff we're doing to continue promoting and, and giving new content and maybe packaging a card with a comic or doing a lot of really exciting stuff. So I think you'll first see it ramp up uh, in the Back to the Future and Turtles brands where we're finally clicking on all cylinders. Excellent. Yeah. I was going to add a little bit in there about the... I think you have an advantage from comics to board games as well because uh, in America we have a large distributor called Diamond which right. is essentially a monopoly that distributes comics. Uh, <laughs> sure. But it also sells board games. Um, and so it's very easy for a comic book shop to have board games, and often that's the case. And so yep. I feel like if you can use a comic property, the gamers are much more willing to um, jump into it. Um, so that's I think you guys have a natural advantage there. Um, I, I designed a game for uh, Catalyst. Um, Catalyst Game Labs is here in Seattle, and they have the Vikings license. Yeah. Yeah, the, nice. the, second, the second one in the series? Uh, I, I have the third. A third, uh, okay. Jeremy Jeremy Holcomb has the first. I was supposed to have the second one because they wanted it to be more mass market friendly, um, and instead they went big box. <laughs> like, mm. so, I think with Vikings, 
I don't know because it's a TV show. It might be better to stick to the EFG range than try to go, you know, GHI or whatever. Um, but who knows? Because they're Vikings, I mean, they want more theme. They want more action and, and stuff. So it might be okay. But um, if I had like a comic property, I know for sure I could probably ramp it up a little bit higher uh, because I know the comic book stores also run game nights, and that would help yeah. promote as well. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, for some inside information, I mean, the comics industry grew a little bit over the last year. It was almost flat. Um, and that's mostly because every TV show you watch that should, at the end of it, say, pick up the story in your local comic shop, doesn't say it, which is a terrible mm -hmm. travesty. But board games are growing hugely. So all these comic shops out there are looking for what's growing. So they're picking up games. A good example for us was Chew. Um, that, the diamond numbers for Chew were amazing. They were really good and we did a great thing of shoving a uh, issue of number one in there, an exclusive, into the box. Yeah. Uh, that's why the box is so big, people. <laughs> uh, and uh, that did really well at Diamond and it got comic shops to start considering it. So we're actually right now looking at a whole line of micro. Uh, we're trying to figure out the packaging, trying to figure out the thing, but I, I do think exactly what, he, what he's saying about Diamond is this huge monster that has access to all the comic shops. So yeah. we're trying to figure out a way to put something disposable, $10, $20, into that front comic section that leverages our IP and that, that gets comic fans to pick it up and try it and has the, the, the easy entry point to do all these things. And so that's, that's my biggest focus for 2016 is getting the comic stores who are not doing it yet to go ahead and convert and start carrying at least three, four games and to have them be, you know, dis disposable quick buys for their fans to get those fans. The, the thing about a gateway game is it's a gateway, right? You you buy tickets to ride, then you ramp up to Africana, then you're playing whatever you're playing. You, you, yeah. we, we need to introduce these people into the cool things we're doing. So Absolutely. You know, there's a big audience ready for it. Good. Oh, great, great stuff. Uh, I'm going to jump back with another question from the audience. Uh, oh, yeah. Give this one to uh, Bo again uh, to start us off. Um, I think you, you've you already, already started to talk about this, but uh, what's uh, some of the approaches that you use to scale back and make a game more accessible? Uh, you've already been talking about chiseling away at design. What, what yeah. are some design questions or tools that you use to be able to assess that and, and do that? Yeah, I think you... For me, it's number of decisions per turn. And for an e-game, it should be one to three. So Ticket to Ride is three. It's kind of on the top end of E, and that's why some people use it as an entry point, but, you know, it's also kind of at the bottom of F. Yep. Um, G can go up to eight decisions, like Lords of Waterdeep. It's probably how many locations there are that you can play in. Smash yeah, up. Yeah, it grows. It like, your hand in Smash Up is five to ten cards. That's that's fine. Agricola, your options are like thirteen every turn. Plus, yeah. depending on what someone else does, um, like Puerto Rico, it's like, well, if I do this, then that, and then like just the number of permutations expands. So, mm -hmm. if you are making a game for someone who is at E, do not have more than three decisions. And if you do, you're not making an E game. Um, and if you're making F, then five is basically your magic number, like somewhere in there, three to five. Maybe you can get a little bit higher during scoring phases or special things. But keep it simple. That's the easiest thing to do is just track how many decisions a player has to make per turn, one. Yeah. And two, if you can explain it in five minutes or less, it's an F-rated game. Right. If you can explain it in 30 seconds or less, it's an E-rated game. And I have seen people fail this all the time at New York Toy Fair. <laughs> New York Toy Fair, they only sell E and right. maybe F-rated games. And I see people like, oh, let me explain the mechanics and strategy and all this mm -hmm. other stuff and theme. And they're just like, eyes glaze over yep. and impossible. So uh, you really should, as a designer, practice the pitch. Like... Yeah. Explain the game. If you can do it in 30 seconds, awesome. Good job. You've made a game, right? And, like, for Back to the Future, I, I hope it's, like, in that in that range, like a minute, maybe two minutes to explain it, and, like, we're good to go. Um, if it's something, like, deep, um, 
then it's cool to add more. Like Battlestar Galactica, I think it probably takes like 20 minutes to explain. Um, and you're, you're signed up for that, and it's going to take you six hours to play. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, just know that, and know you're designing for that demographic, you know. So those are your two, those are the two guides I use, is like number of decisions and how long it takes you to actually... Oh, those are great questions to be asking, I love that. That's, uh, that's fantastic stuff. Um, I'm going to kind of tweak the question and send it back to Nate. I'm curious uh, what... Uh, Bo mentioned, uh, you know, you don't want to go into these long explanations of mechanics and stuff like that, but as designers, we are thinking through the mechanics and the components. What are some ways, or what are you seeing are some mechanics or components that work better for games that are more accessible, and are there certain ones that we should be leaving farther down the spectrum for more gamer games? Oh, that's interesting. That's, um... I mean, I think that's that's almost license and pitch dependent because I, I know that sometimes when I'm shopping for something, I'll actually say I, I need a specific, I need a dice game, and I need yep. the components to be no more than X. Yeah. Or, um, you know, I think um, for Orphan Black, the card game, I don't I, that was actually more McNair working the front end. Um, but, it, you know, again, it needed to be a price point. And it needed to have the feel, so that's something we'll look at. And and as a when I when I put on my developer product manager hat, I'm looking at price points, and I'm telling you, okay, uh, Orphan Black is thirty bucks. That means you can have two decks, which means 108, 110 cards, right around there, and maybe a couple sheets of punch and one marker, and and that's that's where you're going to be at thirty dollars. Yeah. So. That that's the other thing is is when we talk about that's that's one more wrinkle to layer on top of all of this is okay, we've we've talked decisions we've talked, um, you know weight but also price point and and that's an important thing. Um, the Chew game is a good example. Going back to that, we priced it at thirty five because Chew hardcovers are thirty five dollars, so those fans are used to paying thirty five dollars every four months. That's okay. Awesome. Two should be thirty-five. That means let's re-engineer backwards. Yep. At thirty-five bucks, that allowed us one hundred and eight cards, two sheets of punch, I think, the comic book, and one sculpted mini repeated with the chog, which had to happen because yeah, we were never for sure those chogs are really beautiful. Chog. Yeah, they're amazing. I want to make chogs all day. Uh, <laughs> they're my favorite. They're my favorite. Like just printing. I just want to reprint that game and change the color and just have a ocean of <laughs> multicolored chogs. Two. The Talk reason Shoe exists is because I saw Layman tweet about making a game, and I'm like, like that's my favorite comic, so I tweeted at him. And oh, that's, is it? That's great. Yeah, because Shoe's image, it's not IDW. So. I know. That, that, I was going to ask you, yeah. how did that work out with the cross between image to IDW? Image is creator-owned, so they're allowed to do whatever they want, so uh, we go. pick them up. And if you're an image creator, hit us up, and we'll make a game. There's uh, probably two or three more we'll be going after soon. That's yes, awesome. you'll make you'll make their game. I'm, so I'm, so that's it. But yeah, price point's a big concern. Um, g- going into that, oh, a game which allows you to put fifty small dice or what is it, thirty small dice and a bunch of meeples, theoretically in a game for a license I have. Uh, <laughs> so that's that's the stuff. Um, that that's what I look at too. Neat. Hey, Bo, what yeah. letter? <laughs> Would you give love letter? Love letter is actually F or G. It's a really, really small G and an <laughs> Everyone's the, here's a problem. I was at Toy Fair with AEG last year and they were pitching it to the mass market people and it takes five minutes to explain. It literally takes longer to explain the game yeah. than play. Definitely That's longer to explain than play. It's a micro game, right? So it plays short and it has small number of components, has a small price point. But in terms of like understanding it and pitching it, it's actually not as simple as as you might think. Hmm. Um, but there there are lots of um, just because you're a micro game doesn't mean you're an E. You know? Right. I think that's the problem with Love Letter. Um, now, Batman Love Letter has the brand. Uh, Adventure Time Love Letter has the brand on it. It's exactly the same game. I mean, basically. Yeah. Um, and so that helps it, the entry into it, and they don't have to, you know, it's like, well, I like Batman, so, oh, he's a detective? Oh, that's cool. Oh, it's a deduction game? Oh, that makes sense. Oh, I get points for figuring out what people are? Oh, I get this. 
but you have to play it once, right? Yeah. It's not the same right. thing as Machikoro. Like, if Machikoro had, like, Simpsons on it, people would just jump right in and be like, yay, I got it. Like, this is awesome, you know? Um, that is the dream license for, for Machikoro. Yeah, it is, isn't it? It doesn't it make sense. You're buying Moe's Tavern. You're buying yeah, yeah. Yeah. Terry. Oh, no, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Home run. Home run. Yeah. Um, that, that one, that's a, that's a, that one's for you. I'm going to set that up for you. Yeah. I've, I've been, oh, trust me, that's since day one. Yeah. <laughs> Bo, could you, at some point, I know, are you teaching a game design course, first of all? I am, yeah. I'm a, I'm a game design, I'm a instructor at DigiPen, which is a video game design school here in Seattle. Um, and I teach history of game design to freshmen, game mechanics to sophomores, psychology of game design to juniors, and I kind of sit on like the senior project thing, so kind of help them with their stuff. So. Very, very cool. Um, yeah. Is that your rating scale and the number of decisions and the number of minutes it should take to explain, is that anywhere like written down, or is that just all out of your head? It's... It, it a lot of the stuff is how I design tabletop actually. Right. If you actually watch the show, I balanced it according to E, F, and G. There's three of each, mm -hmm. so somewhere in the middle, and we try to do it that way. I learned a lot actually from the show because most of it was me pitching the game to people who don't know anything about games, and so. Um, I kind of saw through the matrix, like after I had analyzed sixty games, you know. Um, but I, I am I am planning on having a um, like a designer focused blog or something, or writing more like papers or books or something like that in the future because mm -hmm. I feel like the stuff like why should we all come to the same knowledge like. We figured it out. Why don't we just transmit it forward? Because yeah. <laughs> a lot of people in the feed are saying, "What is this? Where is this from? And whose is this?" I said, "It's Bo's. Bo made it up in his head." And <laughs> from right and here. Thinking, well, how do we get it out of his head onto like something that we can share or something that we can all benefit from? And I so will, I just yeah. see like this total like just a graph, right? It's just or yeah, yeah. Um, sorry, a chart. It'd be so yeah, fun. I mean, that, I do that in class. I'll actually like put the charts up, and I actually do price point and decisions as well. And I show kind of like this like band of like right. where you're supposed to be and like like Magic the Gathering is this weird place where it's extremely it's like HI in yeah. terms of design and theme, but price point it's actually hella low. And it's very easy to get into because of the promotion and, and very hard to get out of. And very hard to get out of. Exactly. <laughs> um, I had to sell it wholesale. Just get rid of it. <laughs> but they, but they have this little, little niche, and they just put their entire company on it, and just go as deep as possible, and that's awesome. Go for that, you know. Like they found it, and it works. Do it. But in general, that's a dangerous position. High, super high strategy, super high luck, very thematic, with all this backstory, low price point, having to print in the millions. Like that's a nightmare from a publisher's point of view. Like I can't, I can't imagine trying <laughs> to run that business model. Like that's, but they did it, and yeah. it's amazing, and they're winners. And, and it's so strange because it. so many people try to replicate it. Yeah, you know, and they don't for understand many why. reasons. And you have the reasons right here in, in a nice chart. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, if you guys are interested, I'll. I'll yeah, for sure. Take time and I'll I'll set up a blog and I'll do like weekly articles or something like that. We would love that. We will harass you until you do that. Yes. Oh, cool. Yeah. Okay. Well, and then maybe maybe we can do a thing where you guys can come up with topics and I can. Sure. Whatever. Yeah. Expand. Postulate on those. That sounds yeah, great. Cool. That sounds really good. All right, I, I'm gonna bounce uh, back. We're running out of time. I can't believe this. So let, we got a time for a few more questions. Um, I I've been. Uh, wanting to ask this question uh, of Nate, uh, I'm curious. Huh. You're a big poker player. I'm curious how that informs and influences how you design and develop games. Yeah, um, I don't know. You heard that? That's cool. Uh, yeah, I'm a really high level, really intense poker player. So that's um, that's it that's my face. Yeah, <laughs> that's why I grew the beard just to hide some tells. Um, and and w moving into game space, uh, <laughs> moving into game space, uh, Coup is is probably my favorite game because it's it's distilled. It's almost poker. Um, but what I like about um, poker is it puts pressure on the player in the right in the right moments. 
and that's what's cool. It's that you can play um, much to, if we're talking on both scale, of how many decisions per hand. There's a lot of hands you eliminate right off the bat. So there's not as many permutations in hands as you would think, actually, unless you want there to be. You can make an attempt to do this different move at any point. But in reality, um, there's a straightforward way to play. There's an avant-garde way to play. But always the, the, the point of the game is to put pressure in a key moment onto someone. And that's what I like about uh, games is those, it, again, boiling down to moments, that one moment where you put the pressure on someone to have them wake up at the horse's head, where, um, in, you know, where it's, it's take the gamble to get some extra VP right here and, and see if someone understands what you're doing, to go for mayor in Tammany Hall and fight for Tammany Hall. It's these extra little pressure points and applying that stab because that's what you're going to talk about tomorrow and that's what's going to make you want to play that game again because you're going to remember to play to, to, to go through a game again to make you want, you know, learning a game is painful and terrible, and we try to do our, the best we can, but always that first game is going to be a slog, even at a, at a low thing, and if it doesn't have any of these pressure moments, then it fell too light, and it was an activity, not a game, and we say, oh, it worked, and it was boring, uh, or if it has, the pressure moments are too backloaded, and it took us hours of setup to build our characters to get to that moment of pressure, and we, and we gave up beforehand, that doesn't work, but to have these moments, boom, peppered in, boom, 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 where it's, oh my god, why did he make that choice, and I have to reevaluate everything I did because of that choice. Orphan Black's a great example for that. Um, yeah, it is. It is. Uh, <laughs> very good. Uh, so it, it's it's those it's those key pressure points. I, I um, they're just my favorite thing, and that's what keeps you talking. It's what keeps you coming back. If it's the if onlys or the remember wins. You know, a, a recent game of Code Names. My brother won't stop talking about because he got me. He knew that only I could get Crown and Fish with on two, and he he knew the clue was at me. It was Aquaman because I'm a nerd. <laughs> and there was a, there was actually other fish on the board. There were seals and whales and all these uh, things. But he knew. And that's a moment. That's a pressure point moment yeah. where a player can step up and have that stab. So that's that's all I look for in anything. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's that's the poker that's mentality great. is is, you know, why is all my money in the pot right now? Is it because I think you'll call it or is it because I think you'll fold? You it's, should meet up with Brad Talton sometime. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be a good combo. I don't know sure. if he's a poker player, but he loves card the, decision the type. He things. loves that flip. He loves yeah. seeing the flop, and he loves. Yeah. Okay, now what do I do based on this? Those moments. Moment. Yeah, yeah the best. Those. Honestly, some of the best poker I played is at the uh, Gamma Trade Show in Vegas, because all the game designers end up at the poker table at the end of the night. <laughs> so in my first few years there, I'd be playing and then sure see an interesting move, and almost any time someone made something quirky, it was like. Okay, fine. What do you design? And then they, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I met uh, Keith who did some, uh, did the Walking Dead Z-Man games, and yeah. met uh, many different guys because we all have that. It's the pressure, and and it was those kind of plays I could see where it was a very aggressive move or a very interesting move to to really nail down that moment. So that's that's what games are about. It's a, it, I I can't tell you the whole story of my game tomorrow. I can tell you the three fun things. Yeah, Great. absolutely. Yeah. This is why I do my research, because I knew if I got you talking about poker, all the good stuff comes out. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> wait, for the designers who are listening, they should play poker. If you don't play poker, you should play poker. Oh, like, yeah, for sure. Poker is amazing. Yeah, it's a good it's it's a good experience, and you'll understand like yeah. many things about game design, but also you'll appreciate that luck and skill and strategy are all separate. Axes. Elegance of design... Yeah, and you can accept things as being luck, you know, and be like, oh, I understand, and that will help you in design. I think a lot of people feel like luck and strategy are opposed to each other. They're not. Like, poker is high luck, right? So, so are you going to basically run a freshman poker tournament every year, Bo? <laughs> What's that? Are you going to run a freshman poker tournament every year? Uh, I don't, well, <laughs> I mean, I actually, James poker Ernest is here, and we we're, we have a regular poker poker game, so um, maybe what, maybe um, I'll come out early for the Gamma Trade Show, and we'll, we'll get to hang out and play. <laughs> there you go. We'll play poker. That's where the game's at. Yeah. Uh, Bo, I, I'm, I'm going to just uh, follow up with you. Uh, uh, my last question for you, I'm curious, uh, 
what are you working on right now? Just uh, what that you can talk about. Um, you know, we already mentioned early on that Pirate Stands here, so yeah. you know, you're, you're getting those out there. But just quick before you go, could you give us a little highlight of uh, games you're working on and projects that you're excited about? Um, yeah, I have three I can't talk about. So fair. I understand that's the way. And, but and also because they're with media or with uh, licensed properties. Hey, that's so that's appropriate. That's how the show should be. I can't talk about it. Sorry. <laughs> that should have been the title of the show. Um, okay, so we're going to get to our final questions. Um, we'll start with Bo, and then we'll go to Nate. Uh, Bo, final question. Yeah. One piece of advice, other than you need to play poker, that you're going to give to new game designers when they ask you, okay, how do you become a game designer? Uh, only one. We just share another one on a future episode. So this this time I will say metrics. Write down, write down everything. Write down play time. Write down number of players. Write down scores. Write down decisions. Write down like everything you possibly can observe. Write it down and then look at it and then make decisions based on the metrics. Good. Love it. Nate, what about you? What's your advice to a neophyte game designer? Uh, show me a game, not a, an idea. So, nice. Um, yeah, I don't cool. care if the game is terrible or not something I want, but finish your projects. Show me you've finished something. I'm I'm not hiring first-timers anymore that are not finished. It's just too much. But a very good example of this is uh, if you just tell me a mechanic, I might forget where I heard it from, and it might end up in another game because I design, I develop, I do these things. But if you show me a game, and I like one mechanic, what I can do, and what just happened, is uh, a pair of designers who did a beautiful game. Um, they, they did all the graphic design, all the game design, all this, and it's a $60 game. And to me, the most interesting thing was this one mechanic that I thought was a $20 mechanic. And so I said, look... Uh, show me that game as $20 with only the mechanic I want and flip it from co-op to uh, versus. And now they have something to go with and they can come back to me and do that and I'll be very excited when it happens. But if you show me an idea, I have nothing to work with. Um, so finish it, even if it's terrible, I can glean out what's good and I can tell you where to go from there. But I can't, I can't run with an idea of it's kind of a game, and maybe they do this. Don't don't do that to me. I I, I can't give you that time. Great advice, and I can I can attest to it from a personal experience. Uh, I showed a game to Nate, who uh, he said change this, and I might like it, and uh, it'll be down the road with IDW. So I mean, I, he's my, he's that's my field jar winner. Yeah, so I mean, <laughs> it was a task that I was like, really? And then when I made it, the game was so much better. So uh, really, listen to people's advice that we bring on these shows. They actually know what they're talking about. I want to say thanks to Bo and Nate for giving us uh, your time and your wisdom. I can't believe it's already midnight. That means my Kickstarter's done, so thanks to everyone who yeah, helped. Yeah, congrats, dude. Fund, uh, Congratulations. Thank you, thank you. And I just want to say uh, we... I'm not sure if Zen and I are doing an episode next week. We might take time off for Christmas, but we'll for sure be coming to you from me from uh, People Syrup uh, Winter Camp. Um, but yeah, keep an eye on on social media, and we might have an episode next week. Um, we also want to say uh, thanks to uh, if we don't have an end of the year um, episode at the beginning of the year, we'll say a big thank you to all our sponsors and different guests and hosts that we've had. So I just, uh, again, want to give a shout-out uh, that everyone have a great holidays. Um, you know, sometimes it can be a tough time uh, during this, uh, the holidays, and so uh, people be safe. Uh, maybe uh, find some people, play some board games, uh, use uh, some of that energy towards creating something beautiful or something challenging in the board game space, and we look forward to trying that game someday. So uh, till then, have a great night. Thanks.